Welcome to the Washington Church Toledo Podcast. Together, we are learning to encourage one another to walk with God through cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. This podcast consists of recordings from our Sunday morning worship services and other teaching events that you are more than welcome to come join us live at. Good morning. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Mike Shabilsky, and I'm get the opportunity to speak today. Pastor Jimmy and a small group are coming back from a conference on the West Coast today. Um, so in light of him being absent, I get to talk to you for a, a little bit of time. I want to put a couple of scriptures up on the screen. The first one is this from Psalm 119. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Here's a second one. From Isaiah, these are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my words. Those are some wonderful verses about our connection with the Word of God. That first one talked about this experiential thing of the Word of God being like honey, how sweet that is. And I've been in a, been in a Jewish community where they did a little experiential thing, and I've used that in churches where um, we've offered crackers with some honey on it as an experience of coming up, that this is what it's like to taste and see how good and sweet that the Word is. I would also ask you, do you tremble at the Word of God? See, sometimes I think the, God's Word is so common to us and uh, take your Bible and open your Bible, and I read my Bible, and I do this with my Bible, and I have my daily routine with my Bible. I think sometimes we lose an understanding of, do you know who spoke those words? Do you know who's bringing those words to you? Do you know the power behind those words? Do you know the intent behind those words? Do you tremble at the Word of God? I mention those things today because today I'm going to speak to you about a subject, love. Have you ever heard a sermon about love before? No, No, never. How many times have you heard a sermon about love in your life? It's like every Sunday, is it not? It's like, how can you pick up the Bible and not read about love? It's what Jesus talked about. It's throughout the Old Testament. It's what the New Testament writers talked about. All of them are writing about this thing called love. You can't read a passage of Scripture without getting some sense that this is about love. So why do we have to speak talking or continue talking about love all the time? Why was it written about all the time? I think first you could grab from that that it must be really important. It's what God is like. It's what Jesus was like. It's a call of us to love is so critical to us, the church, and to the world. But I would also remind us that we live in a world that challenges that message every day. It's crazy what happens in the news and what happens in life and the things that go on. What goes on in families 
it is a challenge to love. That's one of the reasons we need to hear about it all the time. We need to hear about it and be reminded about it because we are called to be the light of the world. The light of the world is something different than the world offers, and if the world's not loving, it needs some ones who are. That'd be us. We need to be reminded of it because it's really hard to do. Loving one another is really hard to do. Anyone who's married here, never have an argument with your wife. It's hard to love people. Let alone the people you don't know. People who are strangers. People who are opposite of you. It is a hard thing to love. We need to be reminded about love because God is love. Jesus spoke about love. The scriptures are full of love. They all set the bar high. We are called to love one another. There's nothing, Jesus didn't say, love one another because I have loved you. But I know that's really hard, so I'll give you a pass. He doesn't say anything like that. And the Bible doesn't present these things to present fantasy land. It doesn't talk about love as if that's, yeah, that's kind of cool, man, and that's way out there. It's talked about, it's presented, it's lived because that's the way God created us to be. That's the world in which he calls us to live. Jesus lived that life. He expected his followers to live that life. It's the mark of being a follower of Jesus. Jesus did say, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples because you love one another. That's a mark. That kind of makes it pretty important. So I say all that to lead into today's text. We haven't gotten to today's text, but we're going to put it up on the screen. Um, and we're continuing on in 1 John. It's 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. So I'd like you to read it along with me, okay? Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Next slide. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? That's a great scripture, isn't it? Let's set the context. Notice what the first words were. Do not be surprised if the world hates you. Wow, there's a fun beginning. We're going to talk about love, and John starts with the opposite, with hate. 
It's something that John personally has seen Jesus experience. It's something that he's experienced. It's something that he's seen the church in general experience. Let's put the context in John's time, and with people debate when it was written somewhere between the late 70s and the early 90s, and um, it would have been nice if they kind of wrote down the dates for us, but they didn't do that. So that's the time period. Here's what's going on in the world. In 70 AD, anyone know what happened in 70 AD? 70 AD, the temple is destroyed. Israel is destroyed. The diaspora or the spreading out of the Jews all over the world took place. The Roman general who led that war proudly boasted of killing one million Jews by crucifixion. A million people in that day is a lot of people. And the church is caught up in that because the church is still connected with Judaism. Many Christians are living in Israel. And that's going on. All throughout the Roman Empire, there are things going on that people are being killed, thrown in jail, rejected from work, kicked out of families, properties being confiscated, people are being beaten, Christians are being martyred. John was born and raised in Israel, spent most of his ministry life in Israel until he's kicked out. And he's writing this from Ephesus. The church had no political power. The church had no wealth, no money. It did not have a country. It did not have a military force. It did not have property. By the time he's writing, all the apostles except John had been murdered. Despite not really having any of those things, the church is still under attack. John's an old man by now, and he had suffered all kinds of experiences. Uh, persecution. He was viewed as a threat by the people in authority. Why did all this happen to Christians? They were not a political threat. They were not a military threat. They were not an economic threat. But they were different than the world. They challenged the status quo. They said, Jesus is Lord, when everyone outside was saying, Caesar is Lord. They took on the powers that be and said, no, we're going to live this way because our Savior lived this way and we're going to do the same. Listen to what Jesus said. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Listen to what Jesus said. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Listen to what Jesus said. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Listen to what Jesus said. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Listen to what Jesus said. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. 
Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Fun words, huh? What a recruiting pitch to follow Jesus. That was what Jesus experienced, yet he constantly talked about love. Not just loving those who loved you, loving your enemies, loving all those around you. As Christians, we act differently in the world than the world does. We don't react the same. We don't have the same values. We don't respond to circumstances in the same way. We don't follow culture. We're committed to a new idea that a new king rules. We're committed to the fact that there's a new way of living that's going on. As Christians, in that day, they were different from the world, and we all know how the world treats those who are different. Difference is rejected. In that kind of environment, John says, let me talk about love. So let's talk about the audience that John is speaking to. It tells us very, in that passage, tells us something very important. In the, in the text, there's a couple of Greek words that are used to, con, to talk about the church. The first one is ekklesia. Anybody ever heard that word? A, that's a word that's translated in the scriptures, church in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's the word kahal. And those words mean the assembly or the called out ones. And that is what we are. That's what Israel was. That's what we as Christians are. We are the called out ones. But that term kind of refers to a big scope, a big group of people. We are the assembly. We are the ecclesia. We are the church. It's kind of abstract, isn't it? When you talk about, we are the church, this mass of people. It's mainly about a big group and about structure. There's another word called koinonia, and that word is usually translated fellowship. In our day and age, the common lingo for that word is anybody know? What's well, a big buzzword for Christians together? It's that word community. Okay? 50 years ago when I became a Christian, there was no mention of community. It was all about fellowship. Those were the words that were used. Now, it's, you don't hear anybody talk about fellowship. We talk about community. But here's the essence of the word koinonia. It was much more than you just hang out. Koinonia carries with it a sense of intimacy, a sense of closeness, a sense of being known and of, know, and of knowing others. Some people use the word intercourse to describe what koinonia is. That's how close the intimacy is supposed to be in the church among God's people. It's about knowing one another, having this depth of relationship that is beyond, yeah, we're the church and we hang out. It's deeper than that. Let me, let me read a portion of our text back to you. I want you to listen closely to how John makes an interesting little shift. He says, Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that you have passed from death to life because we love each other. 
Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Did you see the little twist he made? He talks in general about brothers and sisters and then breaks it down and says, no, no, no. A brother or a sister. He changes it from a big group to say, now let's deal with you one-on-one. One person at a time. Because we've all heard, you know, love one another and love everyone. Yeah, right. It's a little different story when it's now love each other and know who each other is. Know them by name. So now I'm going to give you an interesting challenge. Extroverts are going to get all excited. Introverts are going to panic. So extroverts, look around. You know who the introverts are. Okay? The extroverts are going to be the ones jumping up. Shannon's going to jump up and start running around. Okay? My wife's not moving. (laughs) Okay? So just be prepared, all right? So here's what I want you to do. You can stand, you can move, you can do whatever you'd like. It's interesting to me. When I first became a Christian, I was raised Catholic. Um, Guess what you don't do in church? You don't talk, you don't move. The threat of a nun whacking me upside the head still rings in my ears. Okay, so going to the, becoming a Christian and going, wow, there's kids running in church and people are talking is crazy, but I've adapted, okay? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to find someone that you didn't come with that you don't know. Okay? I want you to go up to them and say, I'm so-and-so, and hopefully they go, I'm so-and-so back. And then I want you to tell them by their name that you love them with the love of the Lord. Okay? Ready, set, go. And I know Patrick's leading the charge. (laughs) Extroverts, look for the introverts. Okay, now I, now I have to ask the extroverts to calm down. It's a little different now, isn't it? It's a little different when you look someone in the eye and you know them by name. Doesn't mean we've gone... All the, way, all the way to intimacy, but that's different than just saying love one another. Now there are names and faces connected. That's the church. Now I'm going to ask you to do something harder. I'm going to ask that you pray 
It's okay, Madison can run around, that's all right. We still love her, it's okay. <laughs> now I want you to ask yourself a harder question. I want you to ask God a question. God, who are you calling me to love? What's the name? God, give me a name. That's not as exciting, is it? So I'd take a moment, bow your heads, ask the Lord, give me a name, Lord. Who are you calling me to love? It probably won't be a name that's fun. So I trust God's given you a name. Now it's not love one another. Now it's love that person. I can't tell you how to do that. I don't know what the circumstances are. But what do we do with that? There's an old cliche that goes like this, an old time poem. To dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be the glory. But to dwell below with saints we know, well, that's another story. God puts us with people and in places where we're to be the light, where we're to be with our brother and our sister, not our brothers and sisters in this mystical big group, but with individuals and people that God connects us with. The call in the church is to love one another. And to love one another, we need to know one another. You should have seen in the passage that John brings in the Sermon on the Mount. Did you notice that? He talks about murder, but murder is much more than the literal act. In fact, the word there means to kill one's personhood. Just as Jesus spoke on the Sermon on the Mount, it's words. It's rejection. It's actions that harm others. So murder is just, I, I'm, I didn't kill him, but can you kill a person inside? Maybe someone's done that to you. Maybe that's why it's hard to love others. John also speaks of generosity, of taking care of one another, and his intent is personal. It's easy to give to a cause, is it not? Every Christmas we have an offering for the Providence Children's Home, and we respond generously as a church. That's easy in a sense. It's different when it's a person. Um, when I was pastored and, and the staff that I had, we had a, we had a policy that if, if you're going to preach on a Sunday, the message has to hit you. God has to do something in you. If he hasn't done something in you, don't preach. Over about seven years, we had one occasion where we said, the person who was supposed to speak said, prayed about it, worked at it, prepared a sermon, but it and so we just spent the whole Sunday singing and praying, which was probably better than what the sermon was supposed to be. Well, when you're doing that, the same thing happens to me. And I'm sure it happens to Jimmy, just listening to him share. So 
a little while ago, Jimmy gave me this passage to preach on a long time ago. And so, in prayer one day, I kind of made a little deal with God. And God answered the prayer. And there was some extra money. And so, I gave it away. I gave it to the church. And I gave it to one other organization. And I was like, way to go, Mike. That was really good. And I'm studying this passage. So then I said, okay, God, that worked. Bring some extra money. And he did. Only this time, God sent a person, and there was a need in a, in a particular person's life who I've known since they were a little kid, and God said, give them some money. So I did. Then laying in bed one night, I'm woken up, and God says, give money to this person. Okay. So I did. And I thought about very different when I gave it to a person. Not that the church or this other organization wasn't worth giving to, and I'm not telling you, don't stop giving to the church, <laughs> okay? But we need to be alert to what God is telling us about helping people, helping individuals. To do that, we need to know one another. Think of the church in John's day. Being the church was a means of survival. When everybody hates you and the world is against you and they're killing you and throwing you in jail and taking your stuff, you need one another. You need someone. You need the church. The church is not just for the people out there. The church is for the people in here. And we're to love one another. We're to care for one another. We're to provide for one another. In the book of Acts, in chapter 4, it talks about the early church. There were no needy among them. Why? Because they had each other and they needed to rely on one another. Listen to what it says in the book of Deuteronomy. It's a long passage, but I trust you can, you can listen. However, there need be no poor people among you, for in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance. He will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I'm giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the, canceling, the year for canceling debts is near so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. Then may then, they may then appeal to the Lord against you and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. 
There will always be poor among you. Why? Because sometimes we're stupid. And we make dumb mistakes, do we not? Anybody ever made a financial mistake? I don't care how old you are, you've bought something really stupid. (laughs) Years ago, how many people owned a pet rock? (laughs) I don't know what it is today, but I think there's a lot of stupid stuff out there. And things happen. And bad things happen. And the world is filled with people who are about greed and about self and about taking advantage. And so people end up within the community of God's people being poor and in need. And we're to care for one another. It's not always someone's fault. Listen to our world when we talk about people who are poor. It's always somebody's fault. It's their fault. Not always so. And even if it is in the church, we should still help and figure out how we can help them in more ways than just handing them dollars. Now let's talk about a couple words that John drops into this passage and have been mentioned previously in the book and come up later in the book. Did you notice the two words, eternal life? He just drops in those words. Eternal life is not in you if you're acting this way. Eternal life is not in you. Why does he question how someone who does not love does not have eternal life in them? When I say eternal life, what do you think of? Most people start thinking of heaven and all the cool stuff of heaven and how great heaven's going to be. I remember in grade school, a nun told me that, told our class that heaven is a place where you can have what you've always wanted, so I believed heaven was a baseball stadium. What, don't have time to tell the whole story, but God used that about 15 years ago with me to have a major encounter with him. But heaven is not a baseball stadium. I don't know what you think heaven is. People have all kinds of grand pictures of all these glorious things. But is it off in the future somewhere? Or is it now? Dallas Willard has this definition of us as human beings. You are a never-ending spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's universe. That's a great statement. You are a never-ending spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's universe. If that's who I am, when's eternity started? What if heaven is the Sermon on the Mount? What if heaven is loving one another? What if heaven is coming together in worship and singing and laughing and crying and greeting and learning names? There'll only be a few billion Christians, so it's not like not like you'll know everybody. 
What if it's about serving? What if it's about giving? What if it's about learning and growing in him? What if eternal life means knowing Jesus? Gee, I think Jesus said that. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing Jesus. Do you know Jesus now? When's eternal life? Eternal life has begun when we come to know Jesus. Theologically, this is called inaugurated eschatology. Isn't that really cool that I know that? <laughs> inaugurated eschatology. What that eschatology is the, is the theology of the end things. But with the coming of Jesus, eternal life has been inaugurated. It's already begun. Notice that John said, eternal life is not in you. It is in you if you are following Jesus. This is eternal life. And this kingdom that Jesus is king over, is he not king over his kingdom? Is not the kingdom now? Is that not eternity? Is living under the lordship of Jesus Christ? It's now. One author wrote, Eternity with the assurance of vindication before the eternal judge rightly shaped Paul's present. What he means is everything Paul wrote, he wrote in the context that this is eternity. Knowing Jesus and this is how we're supposed to live. Living that way should shape our present for love is the expression of our salvation. And that love should be most expressed within the community of God's people. It calls us to know each other, to care for each other, to help each other. Not nameless faces, but individuals. Individuals living in eternity. Scott McKnight, who's a Christian author, and seminary professor, he writes this, as the face of the Lamb, the church is called to embody the future realities of the new Jerusalem against a world that still embodies the empire mindset of Babylon. I love that term. We are the face of the Lamb. We're to show people what Jesus is like. It's about what's important. Here's some things that will not be in heaven. We are not going to be arguing about what kind of music is played. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting conversation of what kind of music is played because it's only several thousand years and many generations of time. I don't think Moses is ready to rock out with an electric keyboard and drums. We're not going to have arguments about decor in the church. Yeah, I wish we'd arrange the pews. When are we going to get seats and get rid of the pews? When are we going to... I don't think we're going to argue about church budgets. I don't think we're going to have great debates 
about how people dress in church. Some of you haven't been through that experience when the church transitioned from suits and ties to whatever this is. (laughs) I was in those meetings with people who wanted to get rid of the people who dressed like you dress. We're not going to argue about who's on the board. I doubt greatly if we're going to argue about theology, because guess what? We're all wrong about something. Those things are not going to go on in heaven. Why do they go on now? And for each one of those things, I've been in a church where that, those things, along with some others, have destroyed them. What are we going to do in heaven with differences of opinion, differences of taste? What are we going to do in heaven with politics? Let me tell you, there's going to be Republicans in heaven. There's going to be Democrats in heaven. There's going to be people who have no idea what that means in heaven or care. There's going to be, we're not going to argue about economics There's going to be numerous other things that are issues in the church that have no place in heaven. No place in eternal life. We're in eternal life. In Hebrew, eternal life is haya olam. In Jesus' day, the understanding of that word was it was life after death, but with a different emphasis. It was in contrast to something called haya sha'ah. Hayashah is fleeting life. The fleeting life was looked at as living a life that was concerned with things like money, making a living, eating, sleeping, other things like that. But Haya Olam was about the lasting life, a life of eternity. It meant living life with things of importance. That's the call on us. That's what was behind everything Jesus was saying. That's what was behind everything John was writing. That was the call on the church. And T. Wright says this, come alive to the real world, the world where Jesus is Lord, the world into which your baptism brings you, the world you claim to belong to when you say in that creed that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. Eternal life is in us. There's a prayer that some formal Catholic church and other formal churches use called the the Gloria. Anybody know what that prayer is? People are afraid to raise their hand that you know what that prayer is. (laughs) The prayer is this. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, so it is now, and so it shall forever be. So it is now, and so it shall forever be. Amen. May we be reminded again and again, love one another as God has loved us. May we live the eternal life starting now. Because this 
is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you, Father. We praise you. Seated. Okay? Because God had other things in mind. I'll tell you an interesting, fun story. Um, I, I get the, when I get to speak here, I know weeks in advance, so it's really an advantage over normal pastors who have to go week to week and get the sermon done. So God gets to kind of work things out and whatever. So when I fin finally finished writing this message, I came to the end and it's like, I'm not sure if that's the end. But I had nothing. And so I just finished it off. I said, well, you know, we'll celebrate. It'll be okay. Bridget reminded me, you know, the song you picked for the end is kind of a fast song. I'm old, but I can still, you know, I can still move. Um, so that was okay, and I thought I, I was okay with that. So this morning, um, those of us who are speaking make it a practice of going to one of the prayer team and having prayer. So God told me, go to Josiah. Okay. Well, before I did that, Josiah comes to me and says, God told me to tell you something. <laughs> he said, I had a dream. He said, I don't know, does the dream fit with the message? So he shared with me the dream, and I went, God, I think that's a different ending. <laughs> okay. So Josiah, come on up. Here's one of those things, here's one of those things about eternal life. Forget the clock. It's eternal life, so we've got time. So listen to what Josiah has to say. Oh no, don't leave me on stage by myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the dream I had uh, last night was, I'll make the dream part quick, but um, I was at school and I had math class and for whatever reason, the teacher sent us home with this math test. Um, and I knew in my dream I had done really well in the homework that came before it, but uh, I took this test home and the very first question, like, I could not figure it out. Like, no matter how many times I reread it or wrote it out or whatever, I was just totally stuck on this question. Um, and I was starting to get very frustrated by it because I was like, I need to get past this question because there's so many more that I still have to do. And it's like, at this point in the dream, it's getting really late at night. I'm getting very anxious. And I'm like, to the point where it's just easier to pretend it doesn't exist. And like, maybe I'll face consequences tomorrow. I don't know. But like, I'm, I was so anxious because I couldn't get past this one question at the very beginning, it felt like. Um, and I was asking the Lord when I woke up, like, what is this? And I felt like he said um, that there's an invitation for anybody here that you feel like you're stuck on that, like, the thing. And whatever that thing is, like, you just feel stuck on it. And um, maybe you're, you're at the point where you're feeling so frustrated by it, you're feeling so anxious by it because you've been stuck on it for so long, whatever that is. Um, so there's just an invitation for uh, you to receive prayer, I guess. Um, my wife and I will kind of be over here. We'd be happy to pray for you if there's any other prayer team members. They've got the yellow tag. That's them announcing that they'll pray for you. Um, the other thing is I felt like uh, Lord said, if you, if you don't want to do that, that's okay, but you're definitely encouraged to like ASAP, today or tomorrow, reach out to somebody you trust and be like, hey, can we meet up? I'm struggling with this thing. 
Um, and uh, I felt like the Lord told me to go first. So when we're done, I'm going to find somebody to pray for me. Uh, I'm tired of being addicted to entertainment, like social media, YouTube videos, movies, like I feel myself so drawn, so I'm going to find somebody to pray for me for that as well. Um, so if there's anything you're stuck on. And we'll, we'll do that for Josiah. But here's how I take that from what God's saying to us. If you're stuck on the broadness of love one another and can't deal with it with individual, if you're stuck that you can't get past that, now's the day. Now is the time. Don't walk out and say, yeah, I'm going to love one another. Don't make it fantasy land. It's real. Real life is hard. Real life has stuff. So if there's something in your life that you've been frustrated with, you just can't get past, or there's a person in your life and you can't get past it, go see someone for prayer this morning. That name that God gave you may not be an easy one. And you need prayer. Get that prayer. Can you put up the vision statement? Let's stand together and as a church, we're going to announce to one another and to God, this is what we stand for. That includes living inaugurated eschatology, living in eternity. We are a community of disciples of Jesus Christ, embodying the power and giftings of the Holy Spirit cultivating space for healing and living in and expanding God's kingdom on earth. Church, welcome to heaven. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at office at washingtonchurch.org or go to our website, washingtonchurch.org.